3: Hi, Newt's
1: World podcast listeners. Lisa Booth here. I'm part of the Gingrich 360 podcast network. So, Nude is out this week. So, he asked me to take this opportunity to fill in for him by introducing a recent episode of my podcast, The Truth with Lisa Booth. New episodes of The Truth with Lisa Booth are available every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The United States is becoming an authoritarian state. We have an out of control intelligence community. Politicians who put their interests above the people, and a government that's being weaponized against its own citizens. It's time that we face this reality to save our republic. And if you're uncomfortable with the truth, this is not the podcast for you. But if you're ready to question the power grabs and the absurdities around you, sit down and get ready. This is The Truth with Lisa Booth. welcome back to the truth with lisa booth i'm lisa booth and for this week's show i go one-on-one with the king of cable tucker carlson as you guys know tucker is the host of the top rated number one cable news show tucker carlson tonight on fox news and the reason why it's number one It's because Tucker Carlson is the ultimate truth teller. He holds the people in charge accountable, and that draws their ire. He doesn't care who he offends, regardless if it's Republicans or Democrats. He's always pushing. He's always pressing to get you answers. So I'm used to Tucker Carlson interviewing me. So the tables have turned here a little bit. But what I promised you is a raw conversation, an in-depth conversation about the things that are important to you. Family, the state of our country, the media, a variety of things that matter to you and your lives, and I'm going to get into all of it with Tucker Carlson. Plus, I get to the bottom of his bombshell revelations about the NSA spying on him. What actually happened and who is to blame? I'm going to get you those questions with Tucker Carlson because it's about time. Government leaders and the people in charge are held accountable for their actions. And with that, I want to welcome Tucker Carlson, again, the ultimate truth teller, to the show, The Truth with Lisa Booth. Tucker, it's been a week, hasn't it?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, it's been quite a bit of drama. Um, I, I, I absolutely cannot stand having shows about the show like too it's just too postmodern for me. I don't like talking about myself at all. And I definitely don't like being in the middle of of some controversy about the show. And more than anything, I don't like, you know, seeming like I'm crazier than I actually am. I think most middle aged men veer toward crazy. But, you know, I, I try to restrain myself. So like getting on TV and saying the government's spying on me was, you know, I did not want to do that at all. But they were spying on me. And I felt like I had no choice. I mean, I did it defensively. You know, I mean, I don't I don't have any other, I don't have subpoena power. I can't arrest anybody. I can't make them answer questions. All I can do is talk about stuff um, with the megaphone of the show in the hope that that will, you know, protect us. But I really felt threatened by it.
1: Well, I don't blame you. And, you know, for the folks at home, if they're unfamiliar or they haven't been following this story completely. So the way I understand it is last spring you had reached out to a couple people trying to set up an interview with, uh, you know, president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. This is not out of the norm. Reporters do this all the time. NBC's Kira Simmons just interviewed Putin not too long ago. So this is a normal thing to reach out and try to set up these interviews with world leaders. You're, you're a top journalist in the country. And then last Monday, June 28th, you announced that a whistleblower brought some disturbing information to you about the NSA spying on you. Just for the listeners who are unfamiliar with the story, what did that whistleblower tell you?
2: Well, I was in I don't live in Washington anymore, uh, but I, I spent my life there and um, we left a couple of years ago. But I was back for a memorial service for a former employee of mine. And I saw some someone I know. Well, very well, called me and said um, I I'd love to talk to you in person. So I went over to this person's house and the person said, um, you know, without getting into it, this is a very knowledgeable person. Uh, the NSA has intercepted your emails. And I said, you know, really, you know, cause you sort of, if you, if you're in journalism, you sort of assume that, you know, nothing is secure. Everyone's on signal and everyone's paranoid, but it's a very different experience to have specific details repeated back to you. And this person said, so, You know in late april you were emailing about going on a trip to moscow to interview putin you know with these people and i was like wow you know i didn't tell and nobody knew that i didn't tell anyone at fox other than my producer i just i i figured the russians are paranoid and i didn't want to draw any attention to the negotiations because i thought it would spoil them so i was really distressed by this and then the person said um you know they 're going to leak this information in an effort to make you seem like a Russian stooge, and at that point, I thought well i 've got to go public with this but i mean the the irony that underlies all of this is you know you 're not supposed to use the word Putin or talk to anyone around Putin or you 're supposed to hate Putin because putin 's an authoritarian, you know he 's putting people in you know people protest outside the Kremlin, so he puts them in solitary confinement for six months. And, he like attacks people for saying the wrong thing and believing the wrong thing. And he spies on his own people. And it's like, wait a second. You know, the government that we're living under here is doing those things right now. And it's just it, it's like all a diversion, you know, hate Putin. I mean, I'm I'm an American. I'm you know, I'm loyal to America. On the other hand, like, what is this? Why am I supposed to hate Putin again? Why was supposed to be enemies with Putin? China's like essentially taking over the world, and we're ignoring that because of Putin. I mean the whole thing is so deranged i am not playing along with it i'm sorry i don't have a moral obligation to hate Putin and i'm not going to take a lecture on patriotism from people who don't you know who hate the flag and think america's racist up yours you, you know what I mean? How dare you tell me what's patriotic or not what's patriotic is exercising your 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 freedoms under the Bill of rights, one of which is the freedom to say exactly what you think. And I'm not anyway, I'm not playing along at all, period.
1: I don't blame you. And of course, it's OK for NBC to set up this interview. But, you know, somehow if you do it, it's of interest to the NSA, which is disturbing. You know, was this a government person who came to you with this information?
2: I'll just say that it um, this was someone with direct knowledge. So, um, I mean, I, I just don't I, I don't want to hurt anyone. Um, but, and then it was, it was vindicated, of course, in the end, it turned out to be completely true. And I knew it was because I knew who knew that information. And I was, you know, it was the the person I emailed and my producer and that's it. And the people I emailed, uh, there were two separate people I emailed, you know, are not talking to the NSA or anyone else. I mean, these are very tight-lipped people. So, um, and then of course, you know, on, on Tuesday afternoon, I got a call from Jonathan Swan. Um, who knew the details of my email too? So, how would John? I mean, I and I like Swan actually, but like, how would he know? And he knew because the NSA leaked it. Then I got a call this morning from someone saying, "Oh, the New York Times got it too." I mean, I, don't, I can't verify that, but this is someone who used to work there. Um, so, I mean, look, this is—I don't know why I'm acting so shocked. This—they've done this for years. You know, you're disobedient. They don't—they don't like your your views. They want to pull you back a little bit. And so they, you know, they spy on you and then let you know that they're watching. I mean, thank God I don't have anything to hide. I believe in privacy. I don't, I don't want people reading my texts or my emails, listening to my conversations just on principle. But I don't, I don't actually have, you know, I'm not committing crimes. I don't have some weird double life or something. But what if I did? You know, a lot of people do. And that's their right, by the way. You want to have a weird personal life? That's, that's, that's your right to do that. And people like that are are basically susceptible to control by the intel agencies, which is terrifying if you think about it. And that's a lot of people. I mean, I would say most people I know in journalism, you know, have secrets. I don't mean felonies, but, you know, they're whatever. God knows what they're into. And people like that are very, you know, if you find out what they're into, you can hold it over them and control them. I mean, this is this is kind of a classic scenario. And they they do this a lot. I just think it's very offensive. And I won't even get into the media reaction to it. The depth of the corruption—it's mean, not even media is not even the word. But the Praetorian Guard around around Biden. But the depth of the corruption—it just—it uh, just stuns me. I've been in this business for 30 years. I know everyone in it, you know. And I, I, I thought I was as cynical as I could be, but I'm just shocked every time by how low they are.
1: Was it just specific to the interview, or did it scope beyond that? Was it? Did they use that then as an opportunity? I guess my question is: They then did they then use that as an opportunity to you know dig further, to to go through your information, or do you know if what? I
2: don't know. I I, I mean, we filed a FOIA request, um, which was immediately FOIA'd by another news organization. That they filed a Freedom of Information Act request to see our FOIA request. They didn't file a request to find out if I'd been spied on. They're in favor of that. I mean, can you imagine you're a journalist working for a news organization and, the, and some bureaucrat in a spy agency is threatening a reporter reading his emails and you're cool with that? I mean, really? I, 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 whatever. I don't even I'm so grateful there's no longer a White House Correspondents Dinner and I don't have to go to I, I don't think I could be I could not be in the same room as people like that. It's just there. What a betrayal of of their duty and their privilege
1: what do you think the reaction would be if this was uh rachel maddow or you know don lemon
2: well i'd be pissed about it you know i would never make excuses for that ever you know if they're spying on don lemon who i'm sure has like well probably a lot to hide actually um i would be fully against that and i would say so you know because i don't want to live in that country i don't want to live in a country where you know unelected spy agency employees with all, we give them all this power and they misuse it for political reasons. Like I I, I don't really care what the politics are. I'm just against that process. Um, I, I just don't want to live in a place like that at all where there's like a Tonton Makut keeping everyone in line. What? I mean, there are apparently hundreds of Trump voters still in jail. In in some cases, the DC jail, which is just a filthy, horrible place that should be shut down um for for nonviolent crimes from January sixth, and like no one's saying anything about it are we cool with that? you know i mean it 's like this is i don 't know i i 'm not much of a dot connector i 'm a daily news guy. I put out a show every day i 'm very focused on that show. I try not to take too many steps back and you know connect all the dots and come up with grand theories of everything but i mean if if you can 't see what 's going on right now, the attack on civil liberties is so overwhelming, and i just i almost feel like i'm like a crazy person like does does anyone else notice this so you know night after night we book glenn greenwald who's like a full-on leftist you know lives in rio de janeiro i mean we've never voted for the same person ever and yet i'm so grateful to have him because he understands what's going on again we don't agree on most things i would think but on the big things like should you have a a country that abides by its own founding documents does the bill of rights matter do you care about civil liberties You know, we agree on those things, but you can't find anybody else. Nobody else seems to even notice. It's, I don't know, I I don't know what's happening. I do know, last thing I'll say, Xanax is the most widely prescribed drug in America. And it's a tranquilizer, it's a benzodiazepine, and maybe there's some connection there. You know, you legalize weed, you pass out benzos, and and you can kind of do whatever you want because everyone's so zoned out you know, so deep into Netflix and porn that it doesn't even register with them. I, I, I don't know. Where's the fighting spirit? Like, why are we putting up with this crap?
1: Well, I mean, of course, it's been a concern over the past year with lockdowns of, you know, people just taking it, despite the government and experts repeatedly being wrong. But, but I think part of this, too, is figuring out, you know, how this happened, right? And and why this happened, because it's not supposed to be happening. As you laid out, you're an American citizen. You're a journalist. You have the right for your civil liberties to be protected and not abused by the government. You know, Jonathan Swan had reported, uh, that the individuals that you're communicating with, of course, this happens. This is routine to try to set up interviews with uh, you know, foreign dignitaries, particularly a president. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had said they were U- U.S.-based, you know, Kremlin intermediaries. Were these foreign nationals or would there be a reason why these individuals in trying to set it up would be, you know, the NSA would be paying attention to them or, or looking at their surveillance?
2: Look, I assume they're I mean, well, I don't assume I know we all know because it's a matter of public record that they're sweeping up everything. Every email, every text in this country is swept up by NSA. So, I mean, bigger picture, I have a right to talk to anyone I want. I have a right, an absolute right to have any opinion I want. So, you know, I don't love Vladimir Putin, but if I did love Vladimir Putin, I'd be allowed to say so, you know, because this is a free country and I'm going to continue to pretend it is a free country because that's the country I grew up in. And, you know, that that's my position on that. Uh, So, you know, I have a right to contact, whether I'm a journalist or not, anybody I want and express any opinion I want unless I'm plotting a crime, which I wasn't. And by the way, if they think it is a crime, then charge me with a crime. Take me to court. Put me in jail. I dare you.
1: They're supposed to have intelligence reasons to unmask someone. But then there's also the leak, which is illegal. So, you know, what would be their basis? I mean... It just flies in the face. You know, what, what would that basis be then to uh, unmask you, an American journalist? That makes no sense. It paints a really negative picture for the NSA.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's and, you know, Nakasone, Paul Nakasone runs it is like completely partisan and a ludicrous person, like an absurd person running the NSA, really. But yeah, and he would have had to sign off on any unmasking. The director of NSA has to sign off on it. And and potentially too, April Haynes, the director of national intelligence, who oversees all of this, would have as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no reason to unmask me, but I was unmasked. There's a record of who requested the unmasking and who signed off on it. And so where you know where is it? Where's the record? And why don't I have the right to know that? I mean, the 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 most distressing part of all of this is you, know, you come out, and you're like, well, wait, it's illegal for the NSA to spy on American citizens, which it is. They do it constantly. Nobody cares. So I guess guess I'll get off my high horse because it's boring to keep repeating myself, but it's just, it's so stunning to me. It's like, yeah, the government's spying on us. Yeah, they hurt people they don't like. Yeah, there are two standards of justice based on your race and who you vote for. It's like, what? Why are we accepting this? You really want to live in a third world country? I don't. I've spent a lot of time in third world countries, a ton, many of them, dozens of them. And, you know, the good things about him, but basically they're horrible.
1: Do you think this happened because there hasn't been accountability? I mean, we saw what happened with Michael Flynn. Uh, his conversations, he was unmasked. His conversations were leaked with then-Ambassador Kislyak. Again, he was having perfectly fine conversations that he was allowed to have. Uh, you also look what happened to Carter Page as well. The abuse against him, trying to smear him as a Russian agent. You had Kevin Kleinsmith quite literally doctoring an email to make it look like Carter Page was against the U.S. government, but he was actually working for the U.S. government and working for the CIA and had been from, I think, 2008 to 2013. Yet Kevin Kleinsmith got one year probation and his D.C. law license was suspended for a year. So do you think this happened to you because there's never any accountability for this kind of government abuse? Yeah,
2: I mean, there's no accountability. I mean, there are a lot of levels here for one. A lot of these people, I mean, like a guy like Mike Flynn, you know, career military officer, runs Defense Intelligence Agency, becomes National security advisor, like he's had a pretty successful life. He hasn't, you know, been hit in the face a lot. So a lot of these people, when they, you know, find themselves at the bottom of a dog pile, they're not exactly sure what to do. And they immediately call a lawyer. And then critically, they follow the lawyer's advice. And the truth is, most lawyers are like completely worthless. I mean, they're not, if they were impressive, they probably wouldn't be lawyers. So, you know, you take their legal counsel, but you don't follow their life advice or their PR advice. Like, that's insane. Why would you do that? Would you take sex advice from your lawyer? No. But they do. All these people do. So Michael Flynn's lawyer, who's like a lunatic, uh, who I know, is like, oh, no, you, you can't go in public and talk about this. What? Michael Flynn, I mean, if I was in that position, I'd be on TV every day explaining, you know, call around. Can I come on your show? I've been totally shafted. Let me explain how and make your case. You know, don't be quiet. Don't be silent. They're all, you know, they just they let other people tell their story. And that's just a critical mistake. It's like crazy. And they do it on advice of counsel. And I, and I just I will never understand that. The second problem is Republicans never push back because a lot of them are like Liz Cheney. You know, Liz Cheney doesn't like Trump, so we know a lot about Liz Cheney and everyone, you know, everyone the right to Liz Cheney or whatever. But Liz Cheney's actual policy views are not that different from a lot of Republicans in the Congress. Mitch McConnell, you know, there's no abuse the NSA could commit that Mitch McConnell would be upset about. Like, none. I mean, Mitch McConnell's, you know, obviously, you know, in, in all the important ways, he's on the on the other side. He's like totally pro-China, of course. He's pro-big tech. You know, Mitch McConnell cares about raising money and winning seats, or whatever, you know, kind of pointless objectives. He doesn't care about the issues that Republican voters care about, and he doesn't care about protecting Republican voters. So and, and there are many Mitch McConnell's. I don't mean to just single him out. I mean, he's uniquely repulsive in a lot of ways, but there are a lot of people like him. And so, I mean, I found out last thing I'll say, but a few years ago, directly from the person that a, a sitting member of Congress who was on the Intel committee was being spied on by NSA and CIA and couldn't text me as a result of that. I'm like, wait a second, you oversee those agencies. Like why you put, why don't you hold a press conference? You know, demand their firing. Why don't you, why don't you stop their budget? Like why would you put up with that? I wouldn't put up with it for one second and Trump put up with it. That's the other thing. You know what? Really? Gina Haspel, he gives her the job. Like why didn't he fire all those people immediately? And then, press DOJ to charge them and if they wouldn't get a new attorney general like we can't it's not about partisan objectives it's about living in a country that respects civil liberties that treats people equally and you can't have that if the intel agencies are out of control
1: I agree with that and I I think that Today's Republicans that are in Congress aren't up to the task that we're facing because you know you had noticed some of the or you had mentioned the government abuse that we're seeing, particularly with what the individuals involved in January 6th obviously, the conversation we're having about the NSA, uh, you know, collecting your information and your conversations that were happening. We also saw tens of thousands of National Guard troops that were vetted surrounding you know Washington, D.C. You have the Biden administration saying that combating, quote unquote, domestic extremism is a top priority for him. I mean, where where is all of this heading when we're seeing the government be weaponized towards one side of the aisle? Where is this all heading?
2: Well, I mean, it's heading towards an authoritarian state, of course. And and you're right. It's asking a lot of Republicans. I mean, most of these people, you know, or some, you know, developer from Lubbock who got elected. And all right. You know, they, they didn't expect to deal with you know, big constitutional or existential issues. That's kind of not why they were elected. So, you know, you're asking them to do things for which they're not fundamentally well-suited. But even with that caveat, you've got to ask yourself, like, where are these people? Are they living in the same country I am? Do they know what's happening? I mean, how could they allow hundreds of nonviolent Trump protesters to sit in jail for six months in solitary confinement? like that? Those are political prisoners at a certain point. I was against breaking into the Capitol on January 6th. I said so 100 times and I meant it. I don't like that kind of crap. On the other hand, you can burn a federal building or pull down a statue and no one does anything. But if you, you know, say that the election was stolen, will you go to jail for six months and counting? You know, come on. You you know, you don't you don't need to be like brilliantly perceptive to see that as as political and it's, it's corrosive. It's terrible. It's like the one thing you can't have actually justice has to be blind or else what's the point of living here? So, um, you know, they haven't said word one about it. Who killed Ashley Babbitt? I keep, I say that, you know, every other night, just because I don't know, you're, you're not allowed to shoot unarmed women and then not explain who did it and why just, that's just a bad precedent. You can't like, what is this? That's like, I guess that's the kind of thing that we're supposed to hate Putin for, <laughs> but um, I don't like it, you know, in any country. So, yeah, Republicans, it's they're they're pathetic. But then, you know, if you're not a a, a loyal Biden voter, what else do you have? You know, there's no one else who, with power in this country can protect you other than congressional Republicans. I'm sick of attacking them. I'm sick of thinking about them. They're so mediocre. It's like, I'd rather go think about something interesting, but they're literally all we have at this point. That's it.
1: Let's take a quick commercial break. Back with Tucker Carlson on the other side. For 18 months now, the media and public health officials have been pushing fear, not facts, about the coronavirus. And they're still doing it with no sign of stopping. This week on The Truth with Lisa Booth, I get you the truth about COVID and vaccines with someone who has rejected the mindless group think of his colleagues and risk professional blowback to tell you the truth. That person is Dr. Martin Kulldorff, an epidemiologist and a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kulldorff and I have an honest and fact-based conversation about masks, lockdowns, vaccine, the Delta variant, and every else you need to know facts over fear science over politics trust me this is a can't miss episode make sure you listen to the truth with lisa booth every wednesday on the iheart radio app apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get podcasts the
0: 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates
2: who are very well known to Americans and yet there's complexity at every turn criminal trials for one of those candidates young voters who are angry
4: Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com/slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change, valid for qualified residential customers, only service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
3: I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
1: One thing I find odd about January 6th as well is, you know, we've seen the FBI obviously put an enormous amount of resources, you know, hundreds of arrests that have been made and try to identify the people that entered the Capitol that day. Why can't they find the individual who placed the pipe bombs? You would think that this would be a huge security. Well, you, you, I mean, you think this would be a huge public threat if you had someone who literally laid down pipe bombs at the RNC and the DNC. You have all these resources invested in identifying these people who entered the Capitol. Why haven't we figured out who that person was?
2: I don't know, but we definitely need a commission. I mean, look, they know a lot of stuff. I mean, how many people in the crowd have been in contact with the FBI? before, you know, before they got to the Capitol, how many were working for the FBI, how many were snitches to the FBI? I mean, that that's a why is that not a fair question? You know, what role did people who were in contact with the Justice Department or the D.C. Police Department play in inciting the crowd? I mean, wh- why can't we know that? You know, whose government is this anyway? Um, you know, we should know that there are 14000 hours as I never tire of reminding our viewers of surveillance tape shot by the Capitol Police that have been locked away or not allowed to see them. Really? And Liz Cheney is, just, what a fool she is, standing up there, oh, this is, you know, this is Pearl Harbor and it's worse than 9-11 and we need a commission. Okay, well, let's just start by releasing the videotape. Why wouldn't, what's the answer? And what's so profoundly frustrating, and this is a change, is not only do they not answer the question, they won't explain why they won't answer the question because they don't feel any obligation to answer or to tell you why they won't. And at that point, you realize they actually they, they don't believe in democracy. They don't care. Like in a, in an actual democracy, an elected official or a government bureaucrat would think, well, geez, you know, it's their country. I kind of have to. You, you know what I mean? It'd be like calling someone whose house sitting in your house and being like, you know, is the house still standing? Well, I, I can't tell you. You'd be like, well, wait, it's my house. You know what I mean? Like, you have to tell me. You have a moral obligation to tell me. But they no longer feel that because they don't think that the country belongs to its citizens. They think the country belongs to them. It's, it's a different way of thinking. and It's scary.
1: I mean, Tucker, shouldn't every question be a legitimate question, though? I mean, I, I think it's, it's scary where we are today when you are attacked for asking questions. I mean, you're a journalist. You're supposed to be asking. But why, why can't we why, why can't we no longer ask questions? Like, what is that about? I, I think that is terrifying of where we are today as a society.
2: Well, sure, because the you know, the question is either, you know, unanswerable um, or, you know, just by raising the question, you kind of point out the absurdity of the people in charge. So the question is a threat to them and they're not going to they're not going to answer it. What's different is that the press is on the side of the people in charge rather than on the side of their viewers and readers. And so they kind of form this you know, <laughs> this like phalanx around the powerful and, and protect them. You know, they're, they're, they're like a, a Roman legion protecting the emperor. It's, it's just, um, so I don't want to keep whining about the media just, but you know, my dad was in it. My grandfather was in it. I've been in it my whole life. I grew up around it. I always, you know, thought it was a basically honorable thing to do. None of my children are going to do it. That's for sure. Um, so but the bottom line is look, we get what we put up with and we're putting up with this, so we'll probably get a lot more of it. And don't even get me started on the the you know, the Republican the conservative establishment in Washington, to whom, you know, decent conservatives around the country have sent, you know, literally billions of dollars over the last forty years to the Heritage Foundation and AEI and Cato and all the rest of these money sinks and like, where are they? You know, why aren't they protecting their donors, the country, you know, the 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 ideas and principles they claim they stand for? Where are they? You know, they're they're nowhere. So, I mean, this moment is so distressing because it's just revealed how truly unimpressive the people in charge at every level of pretty much every institution are. And you kind of don't want to know that. You know what I mean? It's like seeing your parents naked. Like, I don't, I don't want I don't want to
1: see that. Well, it's also yeah, no one wants to see that, Tucker. No, no, no. Well, it does also, you know, I feel like people, especially, you know, you're laying into Republicans in Congress, which I believe is fair. But it, it seems like their eyes aren't open to this authoritarian moment that we were facing as a nation. I and mean, we just saw over the past year. Uh, the government dictating which businesses can open, dictating church presence, you know, what percentage of people can go to church or if they can go to church at all. But it's perfectly fine to go out and protest out in the streets in you know thousands. Right. So that First Amendment you can exercise, but you can't ima- exercise your First Amendment right to uh, freedom of religion. Uh, and, and then on top of it, we've seen these great government abuses besides just that those powerful lockdowns and authoritarian lockdowns, this abuse and weaponizing government. Uh, particularly under the Biden administration, I don't think their eyes are open to the fact that if if they don't act, if we don't change course, I mean, this country is going to look incredibly different. We're, we're no longer going to be a free America.
2: You know, again, you get what you put up with. I've got a bunch of kids and I love them, but there are some things I, I don't let them do. Like you, you can't smoke weed at the dinner table. You just, you can't. Like I won't allow it. It's my house and I, I won't allow it. I suppose if I did allow it, they probably would. Why wouldn't they? And so you get what you put up with. Where are the Christian churches, by the way, so the state of Michigan says, "Well, okay, you can't have church services. we're closing all the churches, a lot of them going out of business, by the way, predictably, but we're keeping the abortion clinics open because abortion you know because we take a ton of money from the abortion lobby and and the Christian pastors of Michigan and every other state are like, "Oh, okay, you know we're doing our part for public health, really? You're a fool, you're a contemptible fool, and you're not serving your own constituents." You know. Meanwhile, the, then you think well, I, I keep waiting for some Christian denomination to stand up and say this is an attack on Christianity. We're not putting up with it. We, you know, we actually believe this stuff, and we have a right to worship our God in our country. But none do. And then I think, well, maybe the, the Southern Baptists, like they're not going to be pushed around. And you look over at the Southern Baptist Convention; they're like arguing about slavery, which ended in 1865. What? Really, you're debating the legacy of slavery when? Christianity is being shut down by the government? That's really your debate? You're a fool and a self-indulgent, narcissistic fool. Oh, he feels so bad about slavery. Okay, you know, settle down. Like right here and right now, your constituents are being prevented from worshiping their God in the United States of America, and you've got nothing to say about it, and you're debating slavery. Oh, I think, I think they're repulsive, actually. I really do, because I think they betrayed, and I am a Christian and a churchgoer, but it just enrages me. I mean, because they, they betrayed their own. Their own people, like they should be standing up for their people and they're not.
1: But why do you think I mean, it seems like it's more specific to the right. But wh- why do they just accept the premises that are laid out to them by the left and the media? Like no one stands up, you know, with lockdowns and say, OK, well, why are we doing this? What's the basis of this? Where's the information that this is going to actually work? Of course, they didn't. Or even, you know, when Republicans were saying, oh, we need police reform. Where were the people being looking at the data and saying, actually, this narrative about police shootings is complete bullshit. If you actually look at the data, it's not substantiated by the facts. Why is the right? Why? Why does the right, though, always take these B.S. Narr- I mean, they're the ones that help spread it. Why do they just always accept the B.S. premises and the lies that are being fed to them?
2: Many more people are killed by lightning every year than than the number of unarmed black men killed by cops. So like, yeah, it's, it's absurd. I, you know, I, there's something very deep and sad and transformative is going on in America. And I, you know, I, I don't have a super high IQ, not high enough to figure out exactly what it is. But it does seem like the country just lost some kind of essential male energy, some kind of, you know, passion or fight drained out of the men of, I'm just going to be honest, but the men of the country, the men are weak. Women are angry. The men are weak. It's weird. And in a lot of cases, the women are angry because the men are weak. (laughs) I would say Um, having watched that dynamic a lot over 52 years uh, here, but um, I don't know, you know, people just kind of lost the will to stand up for themselves and their families and their institutions, the things they love, the schools they went to the churches they we married in, the neighborhoods they live in, you know, these are the things that normal people, vigorous self-respecting people with dignity, like fight for and die for. I mean, like what would you die for, you know, more quickly than your own family or the, you know, the school that you're surprised. I went to this school Like in my family, every single person in my family, multi-generational, including my wife and me all went to the same high school. And the high school's been destroyed in the past year, but like completely destroyed, like taken over by like crazy people. And, and they really wrecked it, I'm not, that's not an overstatement. And so I called all these people I know who went there with me and went there with my kids and you know, we you know everybody there. And they're like, well, there's nothing we can really do. It's like, really? You know, how about we just like show up and take it over? Like, I don't know, is there a point at which you won't sort of put up with the humiliation anymore? And I I hope there is, but I don't know what that point is. I mean, if you can tell people, if you can tell their children that they're inherently sinful because of their skin color and parents put up with it, it's like, well, what wouldn't you put up with? You know, if, how about if they beat your kids up or sexually abuse you? Would you put up with that? You know, like what? I don't know. Like, where's the dignity? I, I, I know this is very harsh. I probably shouldn't even be saying this, but I, I think that every day, you know, I would never allow that. Are you joking? No way. But people just people just do. And, and it feels like it's society wide. Well, there's nothing we can do. OK, I guess we deserve it. No, you don't. And don't, don't put up with it. Is
1: it Marxism? Is it communism that has taken root in the country or, or what's what's the root of this?
2: You know, it, I, I mean, Marxism is, you know, a, a very specific theory about how money is allocated and how
1: but many have said that we're you know essentially what we're saying is based on racial lines versus economic division
2: right i don't think you know there's a single member of black lives matter who's read das kapital or or who could you know understand it i mean well these people are not not capable of that i think um judging from their public statements but I don't it's not Marxism. Exactly. It's it's the it's the totalitarian impulse that resides in all of us, that the founders, you know, devised a a system to keep at bay. I mean, that's the whole point of the American system of government is to tame the worst impulses within people, all people at all times throughout history have because human nature is the one thing that doesn't change. Um, have had, you know, ugly impulses and you spend your life fighting against them. All of us do. And one of them is the impulse to control other people completely and to hurt them if they disobey. I mean, that's like in all of us. And it's it's one of the worst impulses that people have. And that's why we have divided government and we have this, all these elaborate, you know, that's why the Electoral College, we have all these elaborate systems that the, that the framers thought up 250 years ago to keep any one person or small group of people from exerting that kind of control, from acting out these ugly human instincts on the rest of the population. And so wh- I think what we're seeing is the guardians of that system no longer feel like defending it, no longer have that, you know, that vitality, that energy to defend it and they've kind of given up. And so whenever you give up, you know, when the centuries fall asleep, you get invaded. I mean, I, I, I actually think it's, it's kind of that simple. If you don't defend something, you lose it. I mean, that's true. That's true of everything, you know, somebody stronger and, and with fewer scruples will come and take it from you. I mean, that's just the way the world is. I wish it weren't, but it is. And I think we've just been rich for so long that we've convinced ourselves that, you know, that we can afford to have these incredibly tiresome conversations about our sexuality or our gender preference and all this ridiculous narcissism um, and, and ignore the fundamentals. And so we did. And then a small group of determined totalitarians took advantage of that. And they're in the process of taking advantage of it. So my job, I feel like I've got, you know, an hour, 47 minutes or whatever on cable television five days a week. It's not, you know, I, there's not much I can do about it. But so I so I see my job is just trying to remind people the consequences of allowing this are, are, are very significant. Like your kids will live in a country you won't recognize and wouldn't want to live in yourself. So you should you should really stop this bullshit before it gets worse because it's getting worse really fast. I feel like that's my job. That's kind of my whole job, right there.
1: Well, I, I think you are one of the bravest people in the media, and one of the the few people who I immensely respect for those <laughs> reasons. No, that, I mean that sincerely, Tucker. The I, no, I, in the media. I know. I really. I mean, take that, it for what it's worth, Tucker. But I, I really no, do I feel that. that but that is, But is it? I mean, I know, but that's like being
2: the hottest Supreme Court, just the no. caterer. In well, well, it's also
1: it's also from me. So, you know, take it, take it for what it's worth. Right. But, you know, Tucker, I, but, you know, you're right. I mean, you're talking about what America was predicated on was overturning a monarchy to give power to the people, to have a constitutional republic uh, where, you know, we, the people are put in charge of the government. And it seems to be the reverse now. And, you know, we're at this place is the American experiment over or do we still have time?
2: I don't know. I mean, I I hope not. Uh y- you know, I'm I I mean, I'll just be totally blunt. I'm sympathetic to populism, but I mean, I grew up in a full-blown rich person world and I've lived in it all my life. Um I'm not against a ruling class. I'm not against rich people. I'm against a bad ruling class and selfish stupid rich people. That's kind of my view on it. But anyway, I I, I'm around a lot of affluent people and always have been. And when things started to fall apart, when George Floyd died, I knew a lot of people who started saying, you know, I think I need another passport or, you know, what, what's Argentina like this time of year? Like people actually really, their first instinct was let's get out of here. And so I really thought a lot about it at that moment. And I realized like I'm American, not in some syrupy, you know, fake patriotic way, but like, I'm literally American. I have, tons of American attitudes. I grew up here. I would not be comfortable living anywhere else. I just, I'm going to be here till I die. And my wife feels the same way. We've talked a lot about it. So at that point I realized like there's really no option but to try and resist this stuff. And you hope that, you know, the resistance is rhetorical, but at a certain point, you know, like they're pushing really, really hard, like too hard. I, I feel like the Biden administration is trying to force the country into some sort of very ugly reaction you know these vaccine mandates you know the gun control gun confiscation well it's insane it's insane you know i think there are certain populations that would benefit from the vaccine there are other populations that don't benefit from the vaccine
1: like me i'm 36 i'm healthy i have no underlying conditions why should i take a vaccine that is not fda approved it makes no sense for for a virus that isn't really a threat to my life
2: well exactly but let's say you're Let's say you're 18 and you've already recovered from COVID. You know, there's, there's no question that you face greater risk from taking the vaccine than you do from COVID because you're not getting COVID again. And it's not a good idea to vaccinate people who have antibodies from the virus. Like, that's, it's crazy. This is like basic science that even I can understand. So, but they're forcing it. They're pushing it. They're demanding it. Why are they doing that? It really feels like they're trying to provoke, you know, how... How far can we push the population until someone snaps and does something awful? I really feel like that's what they're doing. I don't, I don't see another explanation. It's, it's completely irrational. If you were trying to provoke a revolution, this is exactly how you'd behave. You know, we're taking all your police away. We're building a, a steel cage around our office, the Capitol. We're doubling down on our bodyguards, which you pay for, and we're taking your cops away, and now we're going to disarm you. What? I mean, no. who would... Why would you do that unless you were trying to make people so paranoid and so angry that they lashed out in some way? I, I, I don't see another explanation. I, I hope I'm wrong. Maybe they're just so stupid, but I don't think so. And uh and I really I'm fearful of what the reaction against all of this stuff is going to be. I mean, I spent the last half an hour whining about how everyone's so passive, but at a certain point, you know, some people won't be passive. And this has gotten so crazy. the anti-white stuff is so nuts white people are terrible what what are you doing why are you talking like that you know you're gonna create radical white people do you want that i don't want that you know i don't want that actually but they're we're gonna get it if they don't stop with this everyone to white rage white this white that white people are immoral what the hell are you doing if we did that to any population, we we're like Filipinos are just bad. They're just, there's something about Filipinos that's just repulsive. Maybe we should exterminate Filipinos. After a while, you get some pretty freaking radical Filipinos, you know, who might do some pretty radical things. Like, why wouldn't you? I mean, duh. So why are they doing this? I, I just think it's one of the craziest things I've ever. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen by far.
1: Moritz Tucker Carlson next. For 18 months now, the media and public health officials have been pushing fear, not facts, about the coronavirus. And they're still doing it with no sign of stopping. This week on The Truth with Lisa Booth, I get you the truth about COVID and vaccines with someone who has rejected the mindless group think of his colleagues and risked professional blowback to tell you the truth. That person is Dr. Martin Kulldorff, an epidemiologist and a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Kuldorf and I have an honest and fact-based conversation about masks, lockdowns, vaccine, the Delta variant, and everything else you need to know facts over fear science over politics trust me this is a can't miss episode make sure you listen to the truth with lisa booth every wednesday on the iheart radio app apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get podcasts
0: there's a lot happening these days but i have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time
4: Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply.
3: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: You're probably subject to the most criticism in the country in terms of as being a journalist. Why do you think that is?
2: Oh, I don't, I mean I, you know, cause I'm in the way, I guess I, I don't have perspective on it. I mean, I'm, I'm very against the internet. You know, I try not to spend any time on the internet if I can help it. I think it's disgusting. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm really thrilled that, you know, we can get up to the moment weather updates, but like overall, the internet has been like the worst thing that ever happened to the world. And clearly and um, so i am just not on it that much. I I never Google myself. I would never do that. And and more broadly, I'm I'm not interested like truly. I'm not just saying this. I mean it. Ask anyone who lives around me. I'm not interested in in the opinions of people I don't respect. I'm I'm deeply interested in the people I love and care about and their opinions. If my wife looks at me cross eyed, you know it brings me to my knees. I mean, I, I really care what the people I love think very much. And I will immediately change my behavior if they tell me to. But like somebody at the Daily Beast, I don't. You know, I, why would I care what they think? I really don't. I mean, I and I mean that. Oh, you're a Nazi. You're a white. You know, you quoted Martin Luther King, so you're a white supremacist. Okay. You know, it's this is so dumb. Like, why do I care? So it doesn't have any effect on me at all. Like literally none. And um, so it's like to me, it's like it's not even happening. I'm gonna say what I think is true, if. I say something that's cruel or unfair you know the people I respect will tell me immediately and I I'll apologize and stop doing it but like the criticism of people who you know work for Jeff Bezos and want to defend the existing order like I I don't give a shit at all and I really don't either
1: you know we've seen probably one of the biggest transfers of wealth over the past year and you know, the shuttering of small businesses, which are more decentralized and the centralized power with large corporations, as well as obviously the government growing larger. uh, In addition to that, you know, where where does that head and and what does that mean for a country, you know, both economically and just as a nation at large?
2: But what about racism? What about racism? What about transgender rights? I mean, All of the the debates that are sort of forced on us from above, racism, Okay, oh, shut up. Transgender, right, you know, it affects like nine people. All of them are a cover for the real debates, which are mostly about economics, not not exclusively. But the big ones are about like the role of the central bank. And in a normal country, that's what you would be debating because that really does matter. But we're not having that debate at all. And, yeah, you're seeing a complete transformation of the U.S. economy, complete. 2015, and this has been a middle-class country, w- literally middle-class country. The majority of people fall into the, you know, as determined by the Labor Department, but in the income range that we call middle class, the majority were middle class. 2015, the middle class becomes a minority, and the country becomes, and, and this has accelerated this trend, way more lopsided. A small number of people control a larger percentage of the assets. And that makes the country really unstable, not just this country, any country. That's how Venezuela went from this kind of nice place. I went there as a kid to, you know, this hellhole, they're eating zoo animals and, you know, Maduro's in charge, like because that concentration of wealth in a democracy provokes a response and it provokes radical populism and they break everything. So, like, that's a really bad trend. It's one of the worst possible trends. But we don't even discuss it, and why don't we discuss it? Because the people who control the conversation, you know, who control the tech companies and the and the TV networks, don't want to have that conversation because they're on the winning end of it. So, Trump said something to me once. Trump's not super reflective, as you know, but he did say something that I, I never forgot, which is, you know, the one thing that people don't like the system, our system doesn't like in this country is economic populism. They really don't, you know. That we've never had since Teddy Roosevelt, we have not had a president, including Trump, by the way, um, who is an economic populist. But most people kind of like the basic ideas of economic populism. So what does that tell you? <laughs> if for 100 years people don't get the one thing they want, maybe the system isn't very responsive to the public. Maybe it's not really a democracy. <laughs> You know what I mean?
1: No, I mean, it makes sense. And, you know, of course, everything ultimately is about, you know, control. And uh, that's why, obviously, they want larger corporations and government control and socialism and things of that nature, because it empowers the people in charge. For real, last question on this, this is something of you encourage people that, you know, get married, have kids. Uh, Why why is having a strong family unit almost counterculture now?
2: Well, because it runs contrary to corporate interests. I mean feminism is just just like a pure corporate propaganda you know telling and I have three daughters so I think about this a lot but like telling girls that it's somehow more virtuous and fulfilling and meaningful to work for some soulless corporation in the HR department or in marketing marketing whatever the fuck that is marketing uh than it is to like raise your own children. Like who thought of that? First, first of all, it's like so ridiculous. Anyway, this is this is the Cheryl Sandberg wrote a whole book on this. She and a lot of people like her have been making this case for 50 years that you're just you're going to be a lot happier if you work for some big company than if you have a personal life. And it's such a lie that they can only maintain it with like maximum hysteria. You know, men are terrible. You don't want a man. <laughs> Right. Okay, and you know, having a man and having a family, having little kids, you have to deal with, makes you a less reliable employee. So of course they're going to say that. The amazing thing is we believe it. This is a liberation movement. You're so liberated, you get to you know commute to midtown, <laughs> sit in HR meetings. That sounds like that's liberation. So the truth is, like you know, ha- getting married, having someone who you love and loves you back, and who is loyal to you, and you're loyal to, you know, like that's the happiest thing in life. Having children? Are you kidding? It's the most meaningful thing you can do. It's not the easiest. It's not always the most fun, but it's it's certainly the most rewarding. It's the thing that you know it's all that matters, really, in my opinion. And so, like people are like, oh well, you know, it matter. What really matters is, I don't know, going to Saint Barts or. Having more sex partners. Really? Does anyone really think that makes you happy? No, it's like absurd. It's totally absurd. You know? Ugh. I tell, I used to, back before I became afraid to talk to women at work, I used to see an MS or PBS or just, you know, in the past 30 years, in television, where I've worked for 26 years, I would always tell the women on our, because it's like heavily women, because they're amazing producers and they're like incredibly hardworking, like in a way just candidly that a lot of men aren't, you know, people like to hire women. That's true. Because they're like awesome. You know, can you do this? Absolutely. And they do it. It's crazy. And so, but the problem is that companies take advantage of women and women don't kind of complain about it because they're so dutiful. These are generalizations, but they're generally true. And so I would always take the women on our staff aside and be like, you know, you're so awesome and you're great, but like, you know, don't forget that this is just a TV show. And in the end, you know, you want to live out your life with, like, someone who really loves you. And, like, if you want children, you should have them. And don't let your loyalty to this job, you know, convince you to miss your own life. Like, take time for your personal life. I would always say that. Now I'm, like, afraid to. get fired for saying that, I guess. I don't know what would happen. I don't say that anymore. But I always did because I meant it. And I, I wish a woman would say that to America. You know, it's a lie. Working for Citibank? Are you, do you think Citibank cares about you? No. You know who cares about you? Like, your husband would care about you. Your kids would care about you. Your dogs care about you. Citibank does not care about you. So fuck Citibank. That's how I feel about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I no, I totally agree with you. And this is something I've been grappling with over the past year of, you know, I've put so much emphasis on work before and, you know, wanting to look towards having a family and find the right person and get married and, and do that whole thing. Because it's almost as if society... We've redirected people away from things that actually have meaning in life and purpose in life, like religion, like families, and directed it towards things that are completely empty and unfulfilling and bring unhappiness and sadness. It's twisted.
2: Yeah, but you get to go to Burning Man for a week, so it's all worth it, you know? And, you know, you get your little nap pod in the Google break room and, like, you know, you get free score bars, so you're you're good. You're very psyched. And you can order in lunch and the company will pay for it. Like, if those are your rewards, or you make three hundred thousand a year, wow, that'll make you happy, or three million a year, thirty million a year. I mean, it's it's all such a lie. And and I can I mean I can say, because I'm one of the few people I know who's like I you know, I ran out of money at one point, I had to sell my house with four, four kids in it. And then I made a lot of money. And so I've bit it kind of both ends. And I can tell you. You know, debt is bad. Being poor is hard. Not having enough money is hard, but making more than you need does not make you happy. It just doesn't. That's a lie. And I, I mean, I think we all sort of know that, but let me just say it again. That's a lie. What makes you happy are your relationships or your commitments to other people, not your random relationships, but like your deep relationships, the one that you sacrifice for the ones you're connected to for life, the person you'll be buried next to Like that matters. And nobody says it. I, I don't understand why. But, you know, as noted, I just don't care. So I, I'm going to because why wouldn't I?
1: No, I think it's important, which is why you know, I wanted to bring it up, because you know I, I do think we're turning young people towards things that are completely meaningless and empty. And social media, of course, draws people inside and away from those interpersonal relationships, which is the basis and foundation of happiness in society. Anything else you want to leave my listeners with before we go?
2: Well, just one—it's just on this topic. I can't control myself. I just had this conversation with my wife yesterday, so it was just like the top of mind. But we were talking about, you know, happiness and unhappiness or whatever. And I thought—and I've thought this before—but it really struck me yesterday. It's like I don't think I've ever been unhappy in my life, except because of self-pity. I, I honestly don't think I have. I mean, I haven't had a ton of—you know—bad things happen to me. I've had a really ha- nice life, easy life, really but the times where i've been unhappy it's been 100% cuz i felt sorry for myself 100 you know poor me <laughs> you know what i mean and i thought well what is the root of self pity and of course it's narcissism you know it's it's thinking about it's obsessing over yourself and that it that really is the root of unhappiness and so anything that pulls you deeper into yourself and by the way i would say Self-knowledge is really important, and that's a different category. Understanding who you are and what you want, what you're good at, like those are key qualities, absolutely, key skills that you need to master. But self-obsession is a different thing. Narcissism is a different thing. And, you know, get out of yourself. I mean, just do whatever you can to get out of yourself, not even for moral reasons, though I think those apply, but for practical reasons. You'll be happier the less you think about yourself, like stop Googling yourself, stop taking your fucking selfies, like get off your phone, talk to other people, worry about them. You'll be way happier if you do that. And this is like so obvious, I'm embarrassed to say it, but it just struck me yesterday, like just in me, you know, when I think about myself, I become unhappy. It's true. I think and I think it's true for everybody.
1: Well, I, I actually had accidentally left my phone at home when I went away for a weekend uh, in the Keys, and it was like one of the best weekends I've had because I was completely connected. No, I'm saying, but it was really, it was sad. It made me really sad about what dominance or phones have on our lives. I, I was so happy. I was so in the moment, just truly enjoying things in a way that you don't when you're checking work emails, you're on this, you're that, and it. I, I mean, it's almost like. <laughs> I mean, I think we'd all be a lot happier without, you know, these cell phones, without social media, all these things that take us away from the real moments in life and, you know, those relationships and the things that really matter and happiness.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to recommend Ted Kaczynski's second book, the one he wrote from prison, because that would be too radical for your listeners. But but let me just but I just want to get it out there for those who are interested, you know, maybe check it out. But um, I would say, yeah, technology, we, we have not we have not grappled with the effects of it i mean we had the we had the industrial revolution and it caused you know political revolutions it caused marxism you know around the world and now we've had this digital revolution and we're pretending that like oh everything's kind of the same no 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 The consequences of this are um are are yet to be visible but they're going to be really they're gonna be profound i would say obviously to, to make another obvious point which is my specialty uh,
1: no it's not your specialty Uh, Tucker, I really appreciate you making the time for my podcast. It means a lot. Man, it was my honor. Thank
2: you, Lisa, for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to Newt's World. New episodes of The Truth with Lisa Booth are available weekly on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen and subscribe for free.
0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag
4: is in the air and we are underway. The great American race.
3: The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville